session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. But if you do call in, you're very lucky because you'll get to talk to my special guest today who needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. Uh, Maz Jabrani is here today to promote his movie, A Simple Wedding, which I got to see and really enjoyed uh, two weeks ago. And it's still playing in some theaters. We'll talk about how you can see it. But if you want to get more information, you can go to asimplewedding.movie for more information. But let me bring you on, Maz. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dr. Fadid. I got to say, your intro music sounds like Game of Thrones. It's very intense. You'd think I'd be doing something much more yes. intense than what's going on. No uh, dragons, no... Uh, I love it. Yeah. You, should, you should bring a dragon in here and talk <laughs> although, to them. Although I do joke because I like the studio very cool, so sometimes I say winter is coming when I, I play oh, yeah. the studio. But other than that, it's not that dramatic. You are Jon Snow. Jon Snow. I've actually never seen an episode in my life. Oh, really? Oh. I just know some of the references. It's, it's like yeah. one of the best shows. It ever. was great. It was okay. a great show. Yeah. Speaking of great movies or shows, uh, we're ta- here to talk about A Simple Wedding, Yes, uh, which I mentioned is a hilarious movie. Um, we might do some spoilers, obviously, today, sure. but we'll talk about it a bit, but I, I'll, I'll let you share what you want to share about it. Uh, but as I mentioned, people can get more information if you want to see it at asimplewedding.movie. You can see it in theaters in selected cities, but also... Uh, online on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Maz, what can you tell us about... The sure, movie? the movie A Simple Wedding is a movie that came out a couple weeks ago. It came out on Valentine's mm-hmm. Day, and it was written by a um, young writer-director named Sara Zandier. Uh-huh. Sara is this great, very smart girl, and um, she. I first met Sara. Um, she was at the um, University of Columbia film program. And she put me in a short film of hers. And that short film won some prizes, won some awards. So then she went on and did her, I believe this is her first feature film called The Simple Wedding. And she has Tara Garami in there. Some of your listeners might know Tara from the spoof uh, she put out called The Persian Bachelorette, Uh which was a spoof on the, the Bachelorette shows. So Tara is this very talented comedic actress. And so this is her first starring role. So Tara's the star. Um, uh, her co-star is a guy named Chris o- Chris O'Shea. Uh, they play. She plays obviously an Iranian American, and Chris is playing an American. And uh, they quickly try to plan a wedding and get married. And uh, Tara's parents are Shohreh Dashlu and Hushang Tozi, mm-hmm. who do a wonderful oh, job. So funny, yeah. And so uh, the whole story is just her parents pushing her into a wedding and then her having second thoughts. Meanwhile, I'm her uncle who's come from Iran, mm-hmm. this uncle named Saman, um, who's come from Iran. And, um, you know, we have a good relationship. And then Chris O'Shea's mother is played by Rita Wilson, mm-hmm. who is Tom Hanks's real-life wife. And everybody knows Rita Wilson anyway. But Rita was one of the producers of Big Fat Greek Wedding. Right. And so I believe she had wanted to work with Shohrin something, and she found this, and she felt that it was a, a good um, you know, romantic comedy. It's a very light movie. I think if people go see mm-hmm. it, they'll enjoy it. It's, yeah. a, it's probably a light we're not seeing in a lot. If, if, you, let, if you let, you know... People that aren't from the community tell your stories, then they'll want to tell stories of 
terrorists and tyrants. Mm -hmm. But if you get people from the community telling their stories, then you get a lot of different flavors that you wouldn't normally get. Yeah, and we you hear a lot about representation and how important that is. And it was really cool for me to be in the theater and watch a romantic comedy Sir, you know, that was around Iranian American family. It was just really cool experience to have that and to be in a theater with people and laughing. And it's just, it's really nice. You do see that it has an impact. And like you said, you know, when people tell their own stories, it's very different than when it's told by others, where usually it's more of the stereotypes and it perpetuates, unfortunately, more racism rather than humanizing the, the whatever the group is that we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. And listen, there's some people that are going to see the movie and say like, oh, you know, the parents were overbearing or or whatever. There was certain things in there that are stereotypical. Well, a lot of a lot of the stereotypical stuff that's coming into a movie like this might come actually from people's firsthand experiences. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure when you have these Iranian parents who are pushing their daughter to get married, yeah. that's a story we know very well. Absolutely. So it's good. It's good to bring that to light. And, and I think, you know, I went and enjoyed it the first night with some people in Beverly Hills and it seemed like it got a good reception. People were laughing. They were enjoying mm -hmm. it. It's a good romantic comedy. So husbands and wives can go together. Wives and wives can go together. Husbands <laughs> and husbands can go exactly. together. We have no judgment here. Just uh, go check it out. Go see yeah. the movie. And actually speaking of the husbands and husbands and wives and wives, there's an interesting, if you want to call it twist, because maybe people wouldn't expect this in an Iranian American environment. It does add some complexity to the situation that uh, Christopher O'Shea, who plays Tara Grammy's love interest or main love interest is bisexual. And so that also, I thought that was great to introduce that because um, in society in general, but also in Iranian culture, yeah. we do struggle with these issues. Absolutely. And also, don't forget that his father in the movie, played by Peter McKenzie, mm -hmm. is uh, remarried to another man. So yeah. there's a lot of compl complexities mm -hmm. going on. And I got, you know, I, I applaud Sara for, um, uh, Sara Zandia for bringing all these things into the movie. Because as you said, you know, I think sometimes our community struggles with things that. Maybe the people that are second and third generation who've been here longer are accepting, but the parents and, and our grandparents still mm -hmm. don't. And there's a certain level of, whether you like it or not, you got to get with it. I mm -hmm. mean, this is just what the world is. So yeah. stop fighting it and accept it. I mean, we're going to have people from all different sexualities. We're going to have people from all different... Um, uh, um, you know, even when it comes to marriage, some people are going to say, I never want to get married, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we still have the traditional thought process of, no, you have to get married. No, right. not really. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And like you said before, how, um, you know, of course, there's the stereotypes that are in the movie as well, but um, it's always a delicate balance when you talk about something like this, but stereotypes often come from places of truth as well. And so as a therapist dealing with a lot of Iranians, I see those exact issues all the time of, overbearing parents too much dependency pressure to get married um, you know all those types of things are very true in our community so we have to talk about them too yeah know? i think in art when you're writing a movie or when you're doing comedy or you're doing anything as long as you're coming from a truthful place mm -hmm. of yours and then you're taking it and exaggerating and having fun with it right as long as it's grounded in that reality then then i think it's fine i think that's where the again, I, I feel I wish we were we had more chances to tell our stories mm -hmm. of whether it's overbearing parents wanting you to get married or wanting you to be a doctor, or lawyer, engineer, or um, you know the some of the some of the stuff you see in our community between men and women and the way mm -hmm. they feel that women should be second class citizens or yeah. whatever. I wish more of that stuff could come to the front and and that. I'm starting to see more and more of that in our in in, in, in there's more and more Iranian American. 
uh, writers, directors, performers, mm-hmm. and I think it takes a few generations for immigrants to come and then their kids start doing these things. Right. And the more we're telling these stories, the more that we're going to, I think, be able to see complexities in our community. Because otherwise, if we just leave it up to non-Iranians to tell our stories, again, it's mm-hmm. just going to go back to like, oh, this guy is... You know the stories about a guy who's gonna, you know, trying to hijack something. Right. You know, and it's yep. like, no, that's not what I've never met any of that guy ever. You <laughs> yeah, know? that's kind of funny. I've never met an Iranian terrorist in my life, but yeah. that's all you'll see yeah. in the movies. And yeah. so again, it's yeah, it's humanizing people means like they have, you know, they worry about things. There's family struggles and dynamics, internal struggles, intergenerational conflicts that every culture and every group has, but they can be a little bit different in different cultures. You know, also now that I think about it, you know, I think. Iranian cinema itself has done a good job with that. Whether it was uh, Asghar Farhadi's Separation, mm-hmm. which won that award a few years ago, and the story was this guy trying to, you know, get through his life and and take care of his, his Ill, you know, sick father, mm-hmm. you know. Or I I happened to be on a, on a Turkish flight this past year, last year, um, and there was a movie called Tehran City of Love, that was a really good movie out of Iran, and I haven't seen it here, but I love it because I think that. I think that in our community, you know, I'm always struck at how much talent is out there. There really is, like whether it comes to design or it comes to filmmaking or whatever. I think Iranians excel in the arts, you know, as long as, as far as I know. And I'm, and I'm always introduced, uh, you know, from time to time, someone will introduce me to somebody new. Um, and quite often it's, it's somebody out of Iran who's not even allowed to do the things they're doing. Hmm. And it just, it touches my heart to see that we have this artistic side in us. And unfortunately, like I said, those in Iran have less ability to express it. And now we're seeing those outside of Iran express it more and more, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm running across a lot of young filmmakers, um, some of them half-breeds, who are putting out these films and making these films. And and it's a great, it's a great thing to see. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think every, every, walk of life that you can think of there are talented people and unfortunately what we've seen throughout history is not everyone has gotten a chance to express their art or for their art to be seen and so the more we allow people to express that the more we'll see there's these untapped resources of beautiful art that we're not allowing to get out even not just art but even the educational system not to shift it too much but of course there are smart people in every type of background but if they're not given the resources to be educated we're then deprived of the good that they can contribute listen i think art sports um all all that music brings out the part of our lives that we unfortunately traditional traditional thought processes try to mm-hmm. clamp down on don't laugh don't question authority. Don't uh, don't Don't right. make fun of that person. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it was kind of funny. Recently, I was in Atlanta doing a, a show uh, in the in the club. It's called Punchline, and the room was filled with all kinds of people: American, Iranian, Arabs, uh, Indian. You name it, they were there. Mm-hmm. And to my right, there was this older Iranian lady who was probably like I'm going to say like in her later 60s maybe early 70s and she looked very modern you know and she was watching and she was you know laughing from time to time and then at one point I got to this whole part where I was making you know talking about being a kid and how my dad would you know be, it was it was your father when you're an, when you're a kid of immigrants in America when the, when your immigrant parents come to school, it's embarrassing because they have an accent, and you're trying to blend in with all the American kids. And that's yeah. just that was my point of view as a kid. So I was doing those bits about my dad coming to school and being loud, and I'm in the corner going like, "Oh no!" And he's like, "Thank you for having us here today at your school." 
you know, and again, it's all exaggerated, uh -huh. but it's just how I see the world at that point. But it was funny because as I was doing it, then I heard her under her breath. She's like, okay, that's enough. Don't make fun of your father anymore. <laughs> and I was like, what? She's like, I was like, who are you? And it was so funny because yeah. this voice has been in my head since I was a child. You know, it's a beautiful thing in our right. culture where they say, respect your elders. But when they say don't criticize or don't talk about your mm -hmm. elders, because then you're going to hide your feelings. Exactly. So when I when at some point in my stand-up, I was able to start talking about my family. It's kind of therapeutic I'm because. Sure. And then at one point, I remember my friend had his mom, who was like my mom's age, come see the show, and I ended up accidentally cussing. I said some bad words, and I felt bad. I was like, "Oh, baby, she, uh -huh. I'm so sorry." And she was laughing, and then I was like, "Oh, you know what? I'm an adult. I can cuss." Right. So as I've gone through all this stuff now i'm at a point where i'm very comfortable with what i'm saying and doing mm -hmm. so it's just funny to me when somebody that's older is judging me and telling me not to talk about stuff yeah, yeah. and i think that's the difference between what art does is to push you forward and say mm -hmm. let's talk about things and let me express myself and the traditional thought process which is don't right and you know so art is obviously about expression creativity and there has to be a level of openness but where you're talking about it's so interesting is this uh, you know, the respect, quote unquote, but a lot of times with respect, when they say it in that way, it's more about fear, meaning you just have to fear them. You can't do certain things no matter what. And that's always going to get in the way. And it's kind of like a, not to get too psychological, but like internalize the super ego, right? That part of ourselves that's critical that even still yourself, you're trying to talk, but you're like, oh, I did something bad because it was kind of funny being like a mom being there made you even trigger more of that super ego side where I'm not supposed to say bad words, whereas usually I'm sure you're on stage and bad words come out and you don't think twice. But there it was where it's like, I'm, I'm being bad right now. You know? Yeah, and it was funny because when that lady in Atlanta said that, I actually start. I kept talking about it. I go, it's funny. I go, I've spent... 40 years of my life trying to get away from my parents, finally uh -huh. got them off my shoulder, <laughs> and now this lady's here representing my parents. Yeah. I go, did they send you? Like, yeah. who are you? <laughs> and it was funny because when you turn it on them, I think that they see how ridiculous their uh -huh. judgment of you was, yeah. and the crowd is laughing at this situation, and I, I hope that they realize that it's, you know, that we are, at a certain point, we're adults. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I'm you know, I'm almost 50 years old, so I should be able to say what I want, you know, and, and just be myself. And that's the amazing thing of how powerful, you know, it's always, it's funny, people laugh at therapists, like everything's about your mom and your dad, you know, but we internalize that parent. So your parents could be, you know, people have parents who are no longer even alive, but they have that voice in their head of their parents. And that's, you know, we can call it the superego, call it different things where they're still judging themselves. You shouldn't do this. You should do that. So you can be away from them, but we internalize that. And so it it's, does show us how much our parents and for parents who are having their kids now, be aware of the restrictions you might be setting into them that might be limiting them, not actually helping them grow or protecting them the way you might think it's doing. But yeah, you could be 50 years old. I have clients who are 56 years old. They're still talking about things. I know this is wrong because they remember their mom one time saying they shouldn't be this or this is a bad girl or a bad boy. Yeah. And they still can't turn that off. You know, it's amazing because as you say, I totally believe in all that stuff. You can, you can track it all back to when you were a kid. And then I sometimes catch myself. I think that we end up, if you, if you're someone who is pretty responsible, generally speaking, I think that you tend to continue to do the restrictions on your kids. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying as much as I can to remind myself to not do that. Let them make a mistake. Let them learn from their mistake. Mm -hmm. And also I'm trying to reiterate to them, like, for example, my son had left his binder at school and he was um, worried about it. And I said, well, you know, you're going to have to deal with it tomorrow mm -hmm. and that's it. And, and, and that's part of life. I'm not going to go fix your problem for you. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we, 
do that. Obviously, the world today a lot, our community a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing of like, oh my God, let me let me bail my kid out again of yep. this that. Because the problem I think what's going to happen is then they're going to go to college, mm-hmm. and there something's going to go wrong, and they're not going to know how to deal with it. Right. You know. Yeah, and I, I sometimes will call it the pain prevention philosophy of parenting, where some parents just think my job is to make sure my kid doesn't feel anything bad. Oh, you don't like that? I'm going to get in the way and stop it. You didn't do your homework? I'll do it for you, and so you have it tomorrow, and you won't have to be sad. And it's taking away their opportunities for growth, and as you're saying, their opportunity to face consequences to see, okay, when I do this, this happens. When I don't do this, this happens, and so I'm going to be responsible for my actions. And yeah, who cares about their homework in second grade, really? But it's about learning when the stakes get higher in their life that they know how to handle situations, recognize my actions have consequences. If things go wrong, I can handle it. Yeah. And not just, we think we're supposed to protect them because we think the only goal is to prevent pain. But that's not what you're supposed to do as a parent. You're actually supposed to promote growth, which means allowing for that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can go to commercial break. Sure. We're a little bit over, but we're here not t- talking much about the movie, but we're yeah. also talking about yeah. A Simple Wedding, which you can see online or in certain cities. Uh, you can go to a asimplewedding.movie to check it out. My guest today, Maz Jabrani. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm joined again today by Maz Jabrani. We're talking about A Simple Wedding, which is out in some select theaters now, but also available online on Amazon Prime. But you can go to a asimplewedding.movie to get more information. And so we were talking about the movie, and it is great to see Iranian-Americans on the screen, seeing the different um, issues that come up. Because really, in a, in a short movie, so many different things come up from marrying outside of the culture, marrying outside of the religion, career choices that are acceptable, not acceptable, uh, you know, all sorts of things, sexuality, all these things come up in this. I, I thought it was great that, you know, she was able to pack that all in and writing the movie. Yeah, again, Sara is the real deal. She, you know, she went to uh, grad school at Columbia for film school, and she's done a few films that are, uh, like I said, have won some awards. And, and now she's just, she's gotten into directing some TV shows. There's mm-hmm. that TV show, Good Girls, which is an NBC show with these girls. I think they're, uh, they're robbing a bank or something. I actually haven't watched it, but I've seen the <laughs> oh, trailers cool. for okay. it. She just directed an episode of that. So that's a big deal for someone to come into this world. So she is the real deal, and I think she did a great job with this movie. And I hope if people get a chance, they go see it in the theaters. You know, the more we support filmmakers like that, whether it's in the theaters or through Amazon Prime or whatever, you know, the numbers matter. Um, so people always say, why don't we have our own big fat Greek wedding? Why don't we have a crazy rich Asians? Well, Mm -hmm. this is your chance to either have something like that or at least work towards it. So the more we support young artists and we go see their movies and we tell our friends and we take our friends and, 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 you know, buy those tickets, the more likely that those movies will expand. And the next time a movie is going to be made about our community, Mm -hmm. you can go to a bigger uh, film production company right. and say, hey, this film was made for very little and made a lot of money. Why don't you get involved and help us, you know, go even beyond? Yeah. So that's something that, you know, the community can do if they want to help support. Just go see it or, or watch it on Amazon Prime or go see it this weekend. It's still playing in Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. Encino, several places. Yeah, uh, Beverly Hills, Encino, uh, Santa Ana, La Jolla, and also Great Neck, New York. You can go to simplewedding.movie to get those details. But I hope people will check it out. I went. It was so much fun. The theater was was packed. 
And it was interesting just see, you know, also hearing the commentary of the audience at certain moments, there are some um, love or sex scenes that come up or start some. Yes. You know, I don't want people to get, some people are already getting worried taking yeah. their, you know, younger kids, but it's all, I think it's PG-13. Probably PG-13. Yeah. yeah. There's no actual. Oh, there's actually, yeah. But probably I'd yeah. say it's PG-13. Yeah. And uh, hearing some, you know, murmurs of the crowd uh, of like that and hear, making some comments, it was kind of interesting. But it was just very cool to have that experience of having an Iranian-American uh, love story. And like you said, a lot of connections I've even seen online are made with my big fat Greek wedding from just the overall theme of the movie and how it goes, but also because Rita Wilson was, as you mentioned, uh, on the production team for yeah. that movie. Yeah. Um, what was it like uh, acting with, with her and the other people? She was great. a lot of great, great stars in the movie, great actors. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I've known Shohra and Hushang forever. They're fantastic. They're so and, uh, you know, they, they deliver. Um, I forget the name of the lady. There's a lady who plays the grandmother. She's fantastic. Yeah, she was really good too. Yeah. 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 Tara's great. Uh -huh. I mean, they're all great. My uh, friend Chris Sam Golzari, I, I got to give a shout out to him. He, I've known him for a long maybe 20 years that he's a great friend of mine he was in there yeah sam gozar is one of my favorite people he played in um in the movie jimmy westwood he yeah. played um uh the the son of mehdi the butcher and he did a great job sam's a great actor he is a great actor and he's a great musician he's very talented yeah yeah i've seen him perform he has a, a band called elevators and he does solo stuff himself yeah. very talented and one of the kindest people you'll meet. super yeah. sweet so yeah. they, it was a great cast and then working with rita was fantastic yeah. and you know i'm, I'm not uh, you know is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but uh, we actually get to kiss each other in the movie. And it was funny because um, my daughter, who's nine years old, was at the screening. <laughs> uh -huh. And at the end, we were doing a Q&A, and she raised her hand, and we said, what's your question? And she said, how does it feel like uh, kissing another woman? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And uh, So she actually she asked it out loud. She asked that That's question amazing. out loud. Yeah. What, what did you answer? Well, I said, you know, it was disgusting. I said, uh, <laughs> not to be not to be done uh -huh. again. Um no, and then I said, Rita's a fantastic lady and I and um I think I think that I found out that my wife might have prodded her along or something uh -huh. but no it was, it's interesting for kids to see that you yeah. know you know going back to the kids it's funny because one time i was on a tv show years ago where i played this guy who has these has a son and so the whole it's a sitcom i mean it was a, it was a sitcom and 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 um and then um me and the son we reunite this that the other and it's just silly stuff and i and when my son my actual son was maybe like four years old i happened to have a dvd of that show mm -hmm. so i sat him down i said let's watch it together because i thought he'd have fun with it uh -huh. well come to find out it was traumatic he started crying he's going oh. i thought i was your son and i'm like no this is a tv show yeah <laughs> and yeah. they don't get it well yeah so at a certain age they make believe that doesn't seem so make believe so they can't like, yeah. differentiate with the reality yeah. and the wow but so, now yeah. they've come around okay. so they now, get I'm it i'm sure now they get it now i'm allowed it. to kiss women on on the screen <laughs> and you might get a little flack but it's yeah. probably probably okay yeah. but yeah i wonder if that's ever uh for your kids or your wife, like seeing you on screen or what, what do your kids respond when they see? They've seen me now since I was young. I right. mean, I've always had my son, daughter and nephew around uh, a lot of my shows. And I, and one thing that I, that I encourage parents to do, I say, let your kids encourage your kids to do the school play, to, mm -hmm. to get involved, to get in front of people yeah. because they get more and more comfortable. And now, I mean, my son just did his first play this last weekend it was fantastic. He, you know, every time he spoke, it, he was basically hamming it up and he was funny and uh -huh. he was going for it. 
And then later that night, we went to, there was a Persian American Cancer Institute fundraiser, UCLA fashion right, show. Right, yeah, ISG, I think, helped plan that. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. and so we went to do that, and I was hosting it, and there was an auction part, and I started doing the auction, and then my son and nephew were on stage, and then they just took the mic and took over the, the fundraising. And it was amazing to watch. There were uh-huh. these two kids, and my son was yelling to people, okay, how much you want to bid? How much you want to bid? Come on, you can <laughs> And I'm like, God, he's so comfortable in front of 800 people. And my nephew was standing up there with him. And so it's a good thing. I think it's good yeah. for them to see you be up there. Mm-hmm. And it's good for them, whether they want to be whatever profession they want to go into. It's a great Absolutely. thing for them to learn how to stand in front of people. Yeah, and, and this is not just true in the Iranian community. We see it even in the school system, but the arts are kind of looked at as an afterthought. It's like, okay, you do all the stuff that quote-unquote matters, math, science, English, whatever, and then if there's time left over, you know, art and music. And so we see that in how curriculums are developed and schools do things, but the arts should not be this afterthought. That's a big part of helping kids get in touch with who they are and expressing themselves and I'm glad there's movements more towards incorporating that and making sure it's an integral part of education. But it, unfortunately, in, in Persian families, you see it a lot as, okay, don't get, you know, they might even be afraid. I don't want them to get into that stuff because then they might not get as much into the academic side. So they almost don't let them get into this. Yeah, I think it's a great way for them to also, for me, it was it was a great uh, door into reading because mm-hmm. I loved reading plays. So I would take like Shakespeare, Shakespeare class so I could read those plays. Mm. Or I would take, um, you know, uh, I would read like Tennessee Williams or whatever. I, I, I enjoyed reading plays. It's it's a it's a, almost an easier way for you to read a story, I would think. And then you go see the play, and then you go see the movie of it, and you're like, oh wow, I see how it's all done. So definitely, I think it's something to encourage your kids to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen so many. I've been at events where they had a CEO of a company who is super successful in what they do, mm-hmm. they go up to speak and they're the worst speaker in the world. And oh, yeah. I'm going, my God, someone needs to train this person on how to talk in front of an audience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see that the kids have been exposed and I hope yeah. they do get more. Even, you know, it's good personally. I remember reading, I forgot which book it was in, but it was talking about how when you look at Nobel Prize winners, an uh, overwhelming percentage of them also had some interest in the art. So they would be like also a painter or did you know, acting or something. And it was presenting this idea that because it helps them see the world in different ways and be more creative, it allows them to even in science think in creative ways. So we we tend to think of science as something that's just you study and you read and then you know it. But if you're going to be a creator at advanced science, you have to think a little differently by definition. And so it was showing how people who were more involved in the arts we're able to likely think of things in a different way to then advance things. So it just helps them think in, in different ways, expands them in so many ways. So I really hope parents won't deprive their kids of those artistic opportunities to express themselves. Yeah, it's funny you say that because we were talking at the break about this podcast I'm doing mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. Um, which is called Back to School with Maz Jobrani, and people can uh, find it on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, all that stuff, and it's free. They should subscribe. And um, I've had a lot of different guests on. Mm-hmm. One of my guests was this lady. Uh, she's an artist. Her name's Azadeh Shladovsky. I always mispronounce her last name. But um, she was saying exactly that. She is this uh, furniture designer slash artist. And she had an experience where her daughter was, I think, um, you know, one or two years old and was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And it was very tragic. And, but, and in the process, lost her sight. And then uh, the story goes on. And, 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 and she said when that happened, and she talks about this in our, in our podcast. She said when that happened, she started realizing that we 
feel with beyond our eyes, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. with our hands, with our ears. So she started doing art that related to that. And so she was creating this art. And she said, I was almost born again through my daughter's experience. And one of the things that she mentions in the podcast is exactly that. You, She said that a lot of parents think, oh, if your kid goes towards art, that's because they're going to have to go, go on and be an artist. And she goes, no, that it's, it's developing a side of your brain that is important in whatever you do. Mm-hmm. And and it's also about not setting any limits. That's mm-hmm. what art is. Art yeah. is saying, here's the paint, go. Right. Make a mess, do whatever you want. And and um or or writing a story, you know, writing a play is mm-hmm. is here's here's a blank piece of paper, create a world. Right. So it's beautiful. I think it's a great thing to do because as you said, no matter what you do in your life, First of all, it allows you, you know, look, we all need it. It's an escape. I mean, look at all the stuff that's going on every day. You know, there's so much tragedy and this and that and whatever. You go into a play and you zone out for a couple hours, you know, and you see this other story. Um, Or you go to a museum and you see the art. I mean, it's all very important. But even if you don't use, you don't go on Mm -hmm. and be an artist. As you said, you might be in, you know, if you're a creative thinker, in this corporation that you work in, mm-hmm. you're going to come up with solutions that other people aren't going to. I think that's yeah. the problem. I think a lot of times people um, really, I mean, I think people are learning more and more, but people continue to be focused on get the top grades, you know, cross mm-hmm. all the T's, dot all yep. the I's. Um, and then you end up with these these followers who, when they go to college, I got to get straight A's and move yeah. on and move on and move on. And they're not at all, thinking outside the box absolutely you said your kids are 11 and 9 so soon you'll and maybe already you know there's already people already think about college and how do you which middle school to help them go to the right high school to get the right and i just see these parents come and see me and i tell them your job is not to be like an academic manager they just turn into that they don't even have a relationship with their kids anymore outside of did you finish this did you do this extracurriculars and it's just this obsession with creating a good model candidate for college rather than helping to develop a good well-rounded human being who is actually connected to themselves and connected to the world and it's heartbreaking to see that but i see it happening more and more as colleges are getting even more competitive and it's just getting crazier you just not just the good grades you have to have all these other extracurriculars and not just extracurriculars one that's art focused one that's this focused and it's like they're not even following their passion they're just following a recipe yeah and a recipe is not going to create a good human being it's just going to create a robot and yeah. so that's unfortunately what we're seeing more and more and it's like let your kids find their passions like you know and don't worry okay right now it's they like rocks it doesn't maybe they'll become a you know geologist or something and study rocks but they might also find that passion is something that's exciting and then they'll you know i can delve into a world and let them delve into different worlds and definitely don't deprive them uh, of the arts we actually have to go to another commercial break but here with maz jabrani we're talking about lots of different things but also his movie that's out now a simple wedding you can go to a simple wedding.movie to get more information we'll be right back Welcome back. Again, I'm joined today by Maz Jabrani talking about his movie, A Simple Wedding, which you can check out in some local theaters, which uh, the information is at a simple wedding movie dot, dot movie. A right? simple wedding dot, dot movie. Simple yes. Wedding dot movie, but also anywhere in the world on Amazon Prime. Um, you know, during the break, we were chatting a bit about comedians and me and my brother, Pyron, we love going to stand up comedy shows. Uh, but also, there's this. Uh, a lot of times people talk about comedians and mental health or comedians and depression. I think when Robin Williams, the tragic 
death of Robin Williams brought to a lot of people's attention. Wait, maybe, I mean, it's happened before to Chris Farley, so many others as well, but, you know, these people that make us laugh, sometimes there's a lot of pain um, and it's a complicated relationship between that. Sometimes the pain is actually helping them laugh. Sometimes the pain is what made them want to make people laugh. Uh, but I just wanted to get some of your thoughts on that because you are a comedian yourself and you get to obviously know a lot of people. Yeah, I think, listen, I think human beings are complicated. Yeah, absolutely. You're happy one minute, you're sad the yeah. next, right? I mean, that's just how life is. And I think comedians, one of the reasons that we, there's two things that are happening. Number one is the contrast because mm -hmm. we are used to seeing comedians be funny. Right. So when you find out that they have a dark side or they're sad or they're depressed or whatever it is, it's just, it, it's such a big uh, um, clash to how we're used to seeing them. You know, if you say your accountant was depressed, you'd be like, well, I've never seen him happy anyway. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, right. you know, but comedians is different. Yeah. They go, oh, this guy's funny all the time because mm -hmm. they see you for 10, 20 minutes or an hour being funny. Right. Then they expect you to be funny off stage. They expect you to be funny all the time. But mm -hmm. you're a human being. You're mm -hmm. not, you know, you're not on all the time. Of course. And the other thing that I think comedians do is it's our job to look at society, look at ourselves and almost psychoanalyze or, or not saying, but, but like analyze mm -hmm. ourselves. Yeah, of course. Analyze society. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to the accountant's uh, example or a lawyer example or whatever, the lawyer's job is to look at the contract and Analyze a contract. This is what's this is what's going to be legal. This is what's not going to be legal. Mm -hmm. The comedian's job is to analyze how do I feel about something that's going on in the world. How do I feel about something that's going on in my life? What do, how do I feel about something that happened to me in the past? So you're constantly going around. That's yeah. how you're writing. Mm -hmm. So I think by doing that, you're constantly reminded of stuff that you know. You just you're forced to go deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that combines together to, to create human beings that when they, if, if they don't have ways of releasing that, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's through meditation or exercise or just, just getting a chance to breathe and decompress, yeah. then they can really, it could really go to the other extreme. And so, I mean, Ron Williams also had that Louis body disease that mm -hmm. was, I guess, right. you know, uh, affecting him and, and his brain. Um, my friend Brody Stevens, he had been, he, you know, he committed suicide last year, I believe it was. Um, he had been doing, uh, he'd been dealing with, uh, different psychological things throughout his life. So, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's definitely in our community, mm -hmm. the, in the comedians community, uh, depression, sometimes bipolar, what have you. But, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, the one thing that I think I'm seeing more of, and I don't know, I, I really don't know if there's a, I don't think there's been a study done or anything, but back in the day, it was, drugs were a lot more prevalent. I, I run into a lot more comedians now who go, no, I don't drink, mm -hmm. I don't smoke, and they're just drinking water at the club. And I think that at least helps a little bit to find clarity mm -hmm. and to be able to come off that stage and just exist because, you know, we were talking about this on the break, that people expect you to be funny. So sure, yeah. it's funny to me because when I'm not on stage, I'm just kind of hanging out. And then it's funny to me because within the Persian community, people think that I have a thousand Persian jokes ready to go. I don't, first of all, I tell people, I go, my, my shows are in English. Yeah. So people come up to me, people have come up to me before, I swear to God, people have come up to me after the show and been like, I am so, so happy to see you. My children are a fan of yours and they don't even speak Farsi. And I'm like, well, the show's in English. So that's, maybe they understand what I'm saying. But it's funny because then they expect me to be able to tell jokes all the time. Yeah. And I've, I've had like, fundraisers where people bid money for me to go join them at dinner 
at their house. Yeah. And I, I'm like, listen, <laughs> just so you know, I'm going to be a pretty boring guest. <laughs> and I think I, I kind of feel like I leave those fun, like when I've, when they twice it's happened, I think I leave and they're probably like, comedian, uh, doesn't seem like a comedian at all. Like, are you sure he's a comedian? You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could, when you were talking, I had so many things were going through my head that people are complex and allowing for yourself, but also for others to be complex you're a comedian you're hilarious but you're also a human being which means you have every other aspect of being a human being too we all can be funny but then that's your part and you have this art and skill there but you're upset sometimes you're sad sometimes so if they see you on the street i hope people will give you that space you know they're big fans i'm sure they come to you give you lots of kind words but to be a whole person and i think yeah. that's sometimes what even happens obviously with celebrities, but even just in families, like, oh, you know, that's so-and-so. She's always happy. She's always happy in our family. She's the one that makes everyone feel good. Where She has pain. She has yeah. sadness. And we have to give her that space to express those things. If she doesn't, she's going to hold on to it. And it could turn into all these other, you know, depression and drug use and maybe even ultimately suicide because we don't give people the space to be full human beings who, you know, are going to have good days, bad days. And that's a big thing for me. Also, this positivity movement. I think it's great to to try to be more positive, to be aware of those things. But science, there's this obsession with happiness that you're not supposed to ever be sad. You're not allowed to have a bad day. And that's not good because people are going to feel sad. They're going to have bad days. And then they start to internalize like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Or look, everyone else is so happy all the time. Only I'm sad. When everyone's sad sometimes, we're hiding it from each yeah. other. And so I think being more genuine and open and recognizing the complexity of being a human being is so important to realize. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty grumpy in the morning. So there's sure. been, yeah, there's been some mornings <laughs> I wake up and, and I'm get up and I see the kids watching TV. What do you guys doing? watching? Turn off the TV. Go make your bed. Do, 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 do. And I'm sorry, yelling stuff. And they're yeah. like, you're so grumpy this morning. And I'm like, just give me an hour. I'll be good. Yeah. Right. You know, and then the next hour I'm dancing with them. Right, so yeah. that's just how we are. Exactly. You and know? I, yeah. And I think that's the problem of not, uh, Thinking we're supposed to always be a certain way in any way is going to get in you know, the way of us being just human and happy and living a good life. But um, I think with comedians, it might be exaggerated. One, they might be drawn to it. They probably were the person that made everyone laugh. As I was saying to start this off, I think there is a pain that sometimes makes them want to make everyone happy too at times. Even some comedians I've heard them say, you know, like my mom was sad all the time and I would try to make her happy. And that's kind of how it started, you know, yeah. which it, it could be good and help create their art, but there's some pain there that if they don't deal with could hurt them in many different ways as well. Absolutely. They say that we're on that stage because we're trying to get the people's approval because we didn't have the approval uh -huh. as a kid, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's probably some of that involved. Is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, and listen, I think we all, a lot of people, you know, most people, I think, had those situations with their parents. Not that parents don't love you, but it's just that mm -hmm. as a kid, first of all, generationally speaking, when we were younger, just parents weren't constantly saying like, Fatty June, come here, let me talk to you. Let me tell you how much I love you today. I'm going to tell you 10 times how that I love you. My and dad then, would actually say it a lot. I oh, would he? I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, he well, was, look at you. He's pretty expressive. He's a very, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. But I know what you mean. In general, it's not the stare, especially from the man, but yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, they loved you, but they weren't right. going around telling you they loved you all day long. Sure. Um, and so I think no matter what happens, like, you know, I, I always reflect on my childhood. My father, I think, instilled a lot of confidence in me, gave us a lot of love. And uh, my mom sacrificed a lot, a lot yeah. for us. And so I, I you know, I, I try to be objective about them and I love them. And then in my stand-up, I'll make fun of like how rigid they were with mm -hmm. me because ultimately they were also the ones who said, don't go into this career, mm -hmm. you know, do something that has, uh, you know, a reputable thing, go be a lawyer, all that stuff. So I kind of go back and forth in terms mm -hmm. of jabbing them in that way. But yeah. I, but I say, listen, off stage, I'll tell you 
the truth is that they really were very supportive in many ways because came, there came a time when I decided to do what I wanted to do and mm -hmm. there was no stopping me. That's where I was going. Yeah. And they came on board with it. And, um, and now all these years later, I mean, it's not even an issue anymore. Um, but yeah, I think part of you're constantly, you know, fighting back mm -hmm. with, like you said, your childhood yeah. or the community. I even say on stage now, I go, when I first started doing this, it wasn't just my mom and dad I was rebelling against. I was rebelling against my, the community because our community, I think, looked down upon it, mm -hmm. you know, and to them being a comedian was like being a drug dealer, you know, they're like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, so um definitely i think we work through our issues yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's interesting you know even about your parents and you're saying how you know you're on stage you'll share and of course i'm sure at times exaggerate i said it so personally exaggerate mm -hmm, exaggerate mm -hmm. some of their you know aspects but that's because also people are complex your parents i always tell this because people come into therapy and sometimes they'll have this feeling of okay we start talking about their childhood and then they say some things about their parents that aren't so good oh they did this and then they feel this guilt of no 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 but they were they've done so many good things how could i even complain but i try to tell them this is this is the complexity of life is that your parents i'm sure they did thousands of amazingly good things for you but it doesn't mean that some of the things they did also didn't hurt you and we have to look at that pain is real and we have to look at that doesn't mean we're judging them we're trying to understand what you went through so i'm sure your parents did so many good things but then also on stage you'll share some of those things that are funnier and whatnot because that's what could you know people could relate to and connect to but people are complex so your parents aren't all good or all bad they did a lot of wonderful things, but there's some things that also, you know, you realize now, uh, you know, maybe even contributed to your comedy, but, you know, we're not so good as well. Absolutely. And I think part of what we do on stage, too, is to take real situations and exaggerate them to make mm -hmm. them funny. Because mm -hmm. if you just told the situation the way it right. was, you might get a chuckle. But if right. you really go over the board with it, then mm -hmm. I think people laugh and I think people relate. So when you talk about... You're like, I, I do a joke about how immigrant parents don't play with their kids because once they get you to America, they feel their job is done. Uh -huh. Now, whether you're Iranian or Mexican or Chinese or whatever, I think we all kind of have a similar background in that I remember when I was a kid, there were some dads who would show up at the playground or at the mm -hmm. baseball game and play catch with their sons. My dad didn't even know what baseball was, much less put on a mitt uh -huh. and trying to play catch with me. Right. So it's just not part of the culture. Mm -hmm. They get you here and they go, now go play. You mm -hmm. know. So when you talk about it, it's great when people laugh mm -hmm. because then you go, oh, it happened to you too. It happened to you too. And, right. and we are now we're all um, um, uh, sympathizing with one another. Right. And and I think it's a therapy. It's a therapy in a exactly. way. Exactly. Because I think that laugh is also born from that pain that we're sharing. That you're now expressing in this way it actually reminds me of um just you know two days ago was the funeral for kobe bryant and yeah. it was very sad and i was bawling my eyes out watching it but then those few jokes some of them were very funny but you feel that release in the crowd because yeah. it's like that tension and that sadness and then when there's that moment to laugh and express it it comes out in a much more intense way so when you share that pain of being an child of an immigrant and some of you're saying they felt like oh their job was done but also i think what people feel in that moment is that we know it was such a struggle to get here and to live here that yeah. they didn't really have the time and luxury you know to always play with the kids because yeah. there's so much going on and so i think people connect to that pain and it comes out as this really deep laugh sometimes you know you laugh from a deeper place yeah and so i think when you can connect to people's pain like that um, it's therapeutic for you, but also for the person who's, who's hearing the jokes. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I was watching the Kobe thing too, and it's and you're absolutely right. Like, unfortunately, I've been in a few situations where there's been memorials and stuff, and and when you when somebody does say something funny, mm -hmm. it's so important because you, you like you said, we need it. We need laughter in our mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, you just turn on the news, and and from from 
one piece to the next to the next to the next. You're like, oh my god, yeah. the meteor better may as well just hit us, yeah, because yeah. nothing's going the way it should be, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's go to another commercial break. I'm here with Maz Jabrani again, talking about. Lots of different things, but including his movie, A Simple Wedding. Go check it out. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Joined again by Maz Jobrani. Go check out his movie, A Simple Wedding. Go to simpleweddingmovie.com. No, a simple wedding dot movie. I'm going to get it right by tomorrow. You're going to get it which right. Which will be late. Yikshab, Fahad Yikshab, Farid, Saying all the names wrong. Uh, but, we, you know, people could check you out on that. Also, we mentioned the Back to School with Maz Jabrani podcast. Yeah. Check that out. Um, and also, you're touring at all times. I mean, at mazjabrani.com, they can get more. Yeah, mazjabrani.com, they can see the upcoming show dates. You know, I'm all over the country. I'm all over the, the you know the world. I'll be in Toronto. I was just in Vancouver. I'll be in Ottawa. I'll be in New York. Uh, L.A., I'm going to be in May. I'm going to be at the um, the uh, Pasadena Ice House. Cool. Uh, that's always a fun show because a lot of the Armenians come out. Oh, really? Okay, Yeah, nice. so you have your Armenian <laughs> contingency. You got your Iranians. You got everybody. It's, it's fantastic. And it's an excuse to go to Rafi's place. There up you there. go. Yeah. One of the yeah. best Persian restaurants yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, actually, if, me and my brother have seen you live a lot of times at a comedy store, Laugh Factory. I've actually never seen you at the Ice House. Maybe we'll have to come. Check yeah, that one out. those are all great clubs. I mean, all yeah. I mean on the on the west side, you've got the Comedy Store, Laugh Factory, um, the Improv. Mm-hmm. Those are places we go. We do twenty minutes, right? And people should just go out, whether I'm on there or not, yeah. or you know, whoever. It's mm-hmm. a great way to go see comedy. You see four or five different comedians, mm-hmm. and you get different, you know types and styles and yeah. it's a it's a just very different than going let's say to a movie or something right so it's a great option that a lot of people haven't even thought about mm-hmm. when they go to live comedy and then the when i do things like the ice house or flappers or hermosa comedy magic or irvine improv those are where i'm headlining and doing a whole hour mm-hmm. i'll still have two or three other comedians on there but it's my longer set so just depending and, and it's all you know i put it all on mazjobrani.com people can follow me at mazjobrani instagram twitter facebook and i'll let them know of upcoming shows as well over yeah. there instagram you post a lot of funny stuff family stuff also i like when you post the different cities you go to and sometimes you'll post a picture like i think you were like larry bird when you were in boston oh, or yeah, something. Yeah. you just do kind of some funny little uh, photoshop images. so so check out uh, his uh, social media as well um can you tell us about some upcoming projects, anything you're working on right yeah, now? Yeah, you know, first of all, my Netflix special is still there. It's right. called Immigrant. So if people have Netflix or if they're getting it illegally from their children, they can <laughs> uh, go ahead and watch uh, Immigrant on Netflix. And as a matter of fact, I'm hoping to sell another special soon. So the more you watch the Netflix, uh, Immigrant on Netflix, the more likely that I might be able to get it on right. Netflix again. And as a matter of fact, I tell people, I go, you don't even have to watch it. Just turn it on and vacuum. <laughs> I don't care. Just have it run so uh-huh. people think that we're watching it. Um, but that's still there. And um, and then uh, I'm working on an animation show uh, oh, cool. that was, um, uh, you know, Courtney Cox from Friends. Uh-huh. Uh, she and some writers uh, approached me. They'd written a, a, an animation show about a fictional uh, uh, foreign country the, and, and there's these immigrants who move from that country to America mm. and they love America and America doesn't necessarily love them back oh wow so and it's totally fantasy then right? totally fa- exactly <laughs> so it's a it's it's a fun uh, uh, animation show yeah. and we are putting the cast together 
and going to be um, putting what's called an animatic pilot together for Fox. Cool. So fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see what happens really, with that. That sounds really interesting. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Total Fantasy, but uh, how real that is of what's going on now. But, um, you know, on my show, I talk about racism. I talk about psychological issues. And I hope it makes an impact. But we were talking before about the importance of art. And art can do something that you can't just do in a talk because it can hit people in a much deeper level and get them to see the humanity of what's going on, how people are actually affected by what's happening. So I think that's that's great that it seems like it's tackling a social issue. Absolutely. I think it's important. I think that's how you become accepted mm-hmm. in America by people who aren't from your background. Because mm-hmm. like I always say, I always say Iranians, we know how great we are. We're like, uh-huh. we're this, we're that, we're that. But in all honesty, you go to many places that don't have an Iranian population and they don't even know who we are. Yeah. They don't even know the difference between an Iranian and a Saudi and a, they don't know the difference. They mm-hmm. don't care to know the difference and they don't care to know that we are, we, you know, we, we ourselves were successful We're doctors, lawyers. They don't care about that stuff. Right. All they see is the negative stuff. Exactly. So if you can almost in a, um, in a, in a very subtle way, mm-hmm. if you can, introduce a TV show or a movie or whatever it is where they go and they see it and they laugh and they enjoy it. And then yeah. their second thought is, Oh, that guy was, that guy was Iranian. What? <laughs> you know, that's, uh-huh. uh, that, that's how yeah. you make, then that's how cultures have done that from, you know, uh, the black community to Latinos to whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's important. It's very important for us to hopefully get shows from yeah. people from our backgrounds Absolutely. in these places, you know? Yeah. And, you know, speaking of identity, um, it's funny, it's 2020. And I think it was, for the 2010 census, you had done that video. So that was 10 years ago? That was 10 years ago. That Matter was fact, so funny. I, me and my brother still say some of those lines. You said, like, just joking to you. Just joking to you. Cummy, cummy. Like, you had a lot yeah, of these yeah. really, like, yeah. it was just hilarious. But I can't believe that was 10 years ago. And it's sad to see that we haven't really advanced in 10 years. Because still there's all these issues about, it seems like they might not have a Middle Eastern box on the census and yeah. have to write it in still, which is I think, you know, I was just you know. talking to somebody. There's a lot there's movements from the community, our community, yeah. to to encourage people to write write in Iranian mm-hmm. under there's I think there's a box that says race and it's like it says white and then Africa black and then blue. it's got a few different categories, yeah. but they say no matter what you hit Make sure you write in Iranian underneath that mm-hmm. so that we can be counted. Now, there's a bunch of different issues. One is there's some philo- some theory of, you know, will they actually count it, whether, whether you write it or not. Um, but the bigger thing is I think a lot of people don't – it's hard for people to see the benefits mm-hmm. of – of filling those out because I think a lot of people are very skeptical. Of course. I don't want to tell the government any more than I need to. Mm-hmm. But the fact is if we're able to between the Iranian community they wanted to they wanted to create a Middle Eastern North African right. MENA mm-hmm. category which I think would be great because then we bring our numbers together with us and other people from that part of the world. And if we're able to show, I mean, I've read statistics that said something along the lines of where something like 3% of the population or maybe 4% of the population, when you combine Iranians, Arabs, everybody from that Middle Eastern, North African region, and yet on television you see maybe 1% sure. representation. And when you see us, you see terrorists and yeah, tyrants. probably less than 1%, and exactly, and less than a fraction of a percent of who we are as far as the different roles. Yeah, and the thing that, they, that people need to know is that there's a lot of benefits beyond that that come with getting that minority status. If you, mm-hmm. get, if you, if you can get to a minority status, then... 
there's a lot of things like, for example, I think if there's a, um, you know, hospitals have to have translators who speak that language oh, so that like, you know, God forbid your grandmother or grandfather, mm -hmm. somebody goes to the hospital, they don't speak English, where well, they're going to have Farsi speakers there by mandate. They have to be there. Um, there's certain funds that go to these different communities. So there's benefits to being known in this country, and also let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. Political power that you gain if you're able to go like the next time they do a travel ban or they stop stop people at the border because they're Iranian, Amer you know, because it says Iranian in your passport, and you're American. Um, you know, if we have shown that we have five hundred thousand or a million or whatever that number is, then when you go to a senator or a congressman or you know, and you say, hey we you know this community is upset about this thing they're going to listen to you but right now our numbers i think from that time i did that video to encourage people to fill out the yeah. the census i think our numbers went down we <laughs> went from like 350,000 to like 320,000 mm -hmm. so the census is coming out this next month and i highly encourage people online to do it i also think that the young people that you probably have a lot of young listeners i would encourage them to go to their parents grandparents whoever else is there mm -hmm. and go we need to be counted yeah i'm filling this out mm -hmm. take a grassroots approach you know if you're part of the student group at ucla usc wherever say hey this is our chance so i'm going to go tell my parents we're doing this yeah uh, because let's face it a lot of parents and grandparents are saying not nah, but don't get involved yeah you know? exactly like you said i mean of course especially in the U.S. right now, there is this fear of identifying yourself as Middle Eastern. Could it have some backlash in some way? So people would rather just leave it blank or not get into that. And there was a great book uh, I talked about last year, and I was uh, lucky to have her on the show via telephone. Neda Marboulet, who's a professor of sociology, wrote it called The Limits of Whiteness. And it was talking a lot about race and Iranian Americans and how technically we're considered white, like legally, but then our experiences, we don't feel white at all. Yeah. And so that's why it's so important for us to be represented and counted as we are. Um, but it creates all these dilemmas. And still, it's it's hard for us to be identified. And it was supposed to be on the census. I, I, I'd read over the last few years about these movements trying to make it, put it on the census, that uh, M-E-N-A, Middle East and North Africa. Uh, but it's now off, I guess, which is kind of heartbreaking that still it's not there and we're supposed to just be considered white, which... Clearly, we don't get treated as white when we're detained and treated in certain Absolutely, ways. Absolutely, no. But legally, we're just kind of, we bl we're supposed to just blend in and as if we don't exist. Well, there's this argument that I think people in our community make. Some people go, why are you, you know, trying to stand out? We, we, we are white. We, you know, we, you know, this, that, the other. But I go, look, like you said, our experience is not that. Mm -hmm. When we first came from Iran to America, we were fleeing the current government. And then they took hostages in Iran. And then suddenly us in America started getting beaten up mm -hmm. and called names. Yeah. And then later on, every time, every five, 10 years, something keeps happening. And no matter, even this most recent thing where we almost went to war with Iran, you know, no matter where you stand on that, I heard of a lot of Iranian American kids in schools that were starting to get, you know, I, I think it's quick. People start calling sure. you terrorists and coming after you. Mm -hmm. So you might think you're white, but wait till things happen and you realize you're not. And so I yeah. think that there's a certain thing about having this community be recognized. And also, look, we can learn from other communities, whether it's Filipinos or Indians or Chinese or whoever else is in this country, African-Americans who have taken their uh, background and made it a thing of pride and said, we're going to show that we have numbers. Right. That's all it is. got to show you have numbers because if you, if you, I mean, there's a reason why every democratic debate they're trying to you know they're speaking a few words in spanish yeah because they want the latino vote because they know it's a big vote right so c can you imagine in 10 15 20 years if we had shown that we have enough 
power in this country where the the candidates at a debate are saying things in Farsi. Right. You know, that would be amazing. Yeah, but they have to know the numbers are there to know that it's worth. Unfortunately, they're pandering, but look, we want to be represented and be yeah. counted, and that's the only way we can get counted. Yeah. You know, I do want to let you go because I know you have to head out. Uh, but you talked about recognition as a community, as a culture, and definitely want to acknowledge what you've done because you were really the first comedian that we all saw that was Iranian and actually becoming into the mainstream. And, you know, you had that Persian like a cat and this kind of things that, but actually, you know, which is funny and cute, but then actually had something where it's like, oh, people are saying Persian or they're talking about it. Yeah. And so I think you've done a lot to help bring recognition to our community. We're all very proud of the work you've done. And so thank you for that. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. And it's been great to, you know, I, I, I always say I was a fan of your father's and yeah. I found out that you, you and your brother, I'm, I'm a fan of the whole family. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that and the support you've always had for us. And we're always here to, to support you. So come back someday soon and we'll talk some more. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Fanny. All right. So that was Maz Jabrani. Check out his movie, A Simple Wedding. Go to a asimplewedding.movie for more information. Thank you again to Maz. Let's take another commercial break. Welcome back. Uh, big thank you again to Maz Jabrani, who did have to leave, but was here for um, the show. Uh, check out his movie, A Simple Wedding. It's playing in some small uh, city, as far as numbers go, um, across the country, but also available on Amazon Prime. Go to a asimplewedding.movie. I think I said that right three out of 20 times that I said it. Anyway, uh, we talked about a lot of different things with Maz, and I appreciated hearing his different thoughts on various topics, but one that came up that I wanted to talk a bit more about was the arts in general, but letting our kids um, do what they want or become who they are and who they want to be. A lot of times parents, we think we have to make our kids become good people and that we have this model for what a good person is. And we try to get them to fit that mold. We essentially try to just make them, stretch them, pull them in different ways to become what we think a good human good person is, especially in the Persian community, someone who will get respect for what they're doing and who they are and acting in a certain way. And so we try to stretch them and pull them into that mold, which unfortunately just leads to a lot of negative things from um, the pressure we put on them, but also the messages we're giving to our kids that who they are is not good enough itself, that they need to be something different from who they are or that they can't be certain things, even if maybe that's who they are deep down. And this is unfortunately a very painful consequence that many parents uh, put onto their kids. And what I always tell parents is, we sometimes think we have to stretch our kids into these molds of what a good human is. But first of all, we don't really know, and there isn't just one way of being a good human, but more that we're supposed to focus on uh, the aspect of our child that is who they are. And so you're given a seed when you have a child. And just like any seed, it's supposed to grow into the plant that it is. It's supposed to express that potential, which is within itself. But unless you're a botanist, you probably look at a seed, you don't know what kind of plant it's supposed to become. And so you're given this baby, this child, and you don't know, and you can't dictate what kind of plant it's supposed to be. That potential is already within it. All you are supposed to do is to help provide the right environment for that seed to grow into whatever plant, flower, tree that it is supposed to be, that it has within itself. Um, you can't pull it to become a flower if you think that's the 
right way to be or to become tall like a tree because you think that's better. You have to just allow that seed to reach its full potential, meaning that you give it the love that it needs, the nurturing that it needs, the opportunities it needs, and also the space to grow in the way it wants to grow. So if it's a tree, it might need more space and you start to see that it needs that space. If it's a flower, maybe it needs certain types of water. So over time, you might adjust the way you provide that environment for the child, but it's in response to who that child is and is being rather than what you think he or she should be or shouldn't be. Oh, no, no, you shouldn't be so colorful. That's going to get attention. That's not good. So become less colorful. Oh, you should be taller this way or you should be wider this way or whatever it might be. That's not going to work. And you're just going to stretch them to become something they're not, which is more likely going to lead to them being hurt in a psychological kind of a way. So we have to see our children for what they are, these beautiful seeds of potential not something that we create in our likeness or what we want them to become. I was actually just talking to a good friend of mine yesterday, and he was talking about his son and uh, trying to help him to grow in the best way that he can. And we're talking about different things and how parents at times, for example, want their kids to be really confident or really um, outgoing or you know, be a public speaker or be a this or be a that, which we can understand. You're going to have these desires for your children. Um, but what I was telling him was what's most important is that whoever his son is, if you want your son even to be confident and really the way of genuinely self-confident about who he is, you have to make him feel good about who he is, whatever that is. So if he is, let's say, more quiet, don't make him feel bad for being more quiet. If he is uh, outgoing and silly in a certain way, let him be that way as well. So the best way you can make or help your child be confident in who they are is by showing them that whoever they are, that's okay and lovable and worth your love and respect and worth a lot and give them that good feeling for being however they are rather than saying, oh, I want you to be more this way, so let me push you this way. You should be more like this. No, no, you should go to a party and talk to everyone. Okay, but if that's not who they are, maybe that's okay and not everyone needs to do that. Again, there isn't one good type of flower or plant. There's different plants and different flowers, all beautiful and good in different ways. But we want to make sure whatever type of plant your child is becoming, they feel good about who that is. And another aspect of that is being aware of ourselves and our own childhood. There's a great book by Daniel Siegel called Parenting Inside Out. And other books uh, talk about this because it's so important to realize our own issues, our own things that happened in our childhood and what we've carried forward, the wounds we have from that. Because without uh, trying, consciously or unconsciously, you're going to pass those on to your kids. So if you were a shy kid and let's say you got bullied a little bit, then if you see a little bit of shyness in your own child, you're going to react very negatively to it. Because No, 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 you can't be that way. You got you to be strong and defend yourself because it's bringing up your own feelings of, gosh, it felt so bad to get bullied and I felt so powerless and I hated that feeling and I always wished I could have overcome those bullies and now when you see your child and of course especially if it's a biological child might even look like you but it's your child on top of all that and you're going to see a lot of yourself in him or her no matter what you start to project that and identify with that and think oh I'm not going to let you uh, have to suffer in that way so it feels like it's coming from a place of love if you're conscious of it, sometimes you might not even be aware of it, but you're trying to make your child become 
something to compensate for something that you went through and you experienced. So I don't want them to have the experience I had, so I'm going to push them in this way. And so this is why as a parent, it's so important to come to terms with your own childhood and the issues that you've dealt with. I kind of joked with Maz about this, how we, we kind of bring everything back to childhood and uh, therapists can get made fun of for this saying, oh, it's about my mom or it's about my dad because we hear that uh, so much. But so often it is related to the things we experienced as a child. We carry that psychology and that psyche with us going forward. If you felt bad about a certain thing, you very likely still feel bad about it. People will have issues that happened when they were a kid and they still won't get over it 50 years later if they haven't faced it or it still affects them in some way even if they've tried to deal with it. You might go to therapy, it doesn't mean the issue disappears, but you might be better at dealing with that issue. So we have to be aware of what we've dealt with and what we're carrying with us to not put that onto our kids as a burden. We don't want to uh, dump that pain onto them and have them now carry the load. We have to deal with that ourselves, deal with that load ourselves, deal with those issues and what we've been through from our own therapy, from our first just understanding, we can get better. So the first step is to look in to see what's there, because whether you're aware of it or not, there's ways that you think a person should be and shouldn't be. And there's experiences you had that you didn't like or did like that will affect the way you'll try to make your kid become or not become. Don't be shy. I want you to be strong. And so it's interesting because if you say, don't be shy, I want you to be strong. Unfortunately, what you're actually going to do is be putting them down, make them feel bad about who they are, and they're actually now going to be more likely to get bullied or not be able to stand up for themselves because you're teaching them who you are isn't good. So now if someone else comes along and says, hey, you're not good for whatever reason and makes fun of them, they might think this makes sense, this resonates because I even get that at home. So you might start bullying your kid in a way to try to protect them from bullying, which is ironic. But if anything, it's just going to make it more likely that they get bullied and, and put down. So what I actually told my, my friend yesterday to, about this topic was, you know, I, I work with families and they say, I don't want my kid um, to get bullied or I want my kid to stand up to themselves. And I say, well, for themselves, and I say, can your child stand up to you? And very often they realize, you know, they can't. I don't let them or I, I react really negatively to that. And so it doesn't mean we... Be, let them become the dictator and say whatever they want and do whatever they want. But we do give them the space to disagree with us, to let us know what they're feeling, to let us know if they're upset. Uh, even if though it's your kid, you know, you want to hug and kiss them because they're so cute and you love them so much. But if you hug and kiss them in a way they don't like, they have the right to tell you, you know, mommy, that was too much. or I don't want to hug right now. Or, I don't want to kiss right now. And we show them that that's okay for them to say that. They can let us know what they want and don't want. It's their body. It's their person. They can decide what happens to it. So we can show them from a young age that who you are is okay, that what you want is okay and worth asking and, and saying and speaking up for. Um, but we can only do that if we allow them to be themselves and don't already assume we know what they should be and what they shouldn't be and to put that pressure on them. So we allow our child to grow into that beautiful plant flower that they're supposed to become, not get in their way, and be aware of the things that we carry within us and how that might affect who we think they're supposed to become and the ways we might actually take away from their specialness, their uniqueness, and not allow them to be loved for who they are. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadid Lockwee. We'll be right back. 
back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Um, hello, Dr. Faisal. Hi, th- good. Thanks for calling. Thanks so much for having me. You're, you're, uh, sorry, your, your, your voice is kind of cutting out. I don't know if it's something about the reception or how you're holding the phone or if we're on speaker, if you could take it off, but we can't quite hear is it, you. Clearly. Is it okay now? It's getting, that sounds better. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, sir. Um, I, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your very informative program. Oh, thank you. We really enjoy and appreciate your all of your talk and all of uh, the program that you have. Thank you very much. I have a question regarding my son. I have a um, son that he has. Uh, he's uh, older than 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the time that he was in high school, he started uh, using marijuana. And since this is like a, unfortunately, uh, like normalizing this program or normalizing this type of thing in the state and so many places in the United States mm-hmm. and other places, uh, it really uh, has a very bad impact on him. He has uh, achieved so many great things in his life. However, uh, this is something that really um, concerns us uh, about his um, future and about his life or the way that he's thinking or sometimes he gets uh, very angry or gets emotional. Even though we take him to some centers to uh, put it away, he take it, he, he put it away for a while and it seems that yeah. he so and maybe I know I it's sure. You know, I know I still said for you we we're hearing you quite uh, too quietly. Now it's a little bit loud. Sorry to kind of go back and forth with you because uh, I'm almost getting a little bit of feedback when I'm hearing you. But okay, so your son is been dealing with marijuana, smoking marijuana since high school. Or that's something that you noticed, and you're very concerned about it. And you're saying you guys have tried to help him to stop. Now let me ask you something: Does does he say he wants to stop smoking? Yes. He says he wants to stop too. It seems that he's telling me that, like, he said that, or it's, like, difficult for him, but he doesn't show any interest to stop it. Or he told me that he, he wants to stop it, but he stopped it for a while and then he started again. Okay. Well, so the first thing, I mean, when we're talking about change of any kind, but especially when we're talking about substance use and I don't know if he has an addiction or not, but we always hear this in addiction is that you have to first acknowledge there's a problem and the person has to want to stop. And so it seems like he's at best ambivalent, meaning he has mixed feelings. He maybe wants to stop or he's not sure. And so if you're putting this pressure on him to stop, but he doesn't want to, it's kind of like you're trying to push a a boulder up a hill and you're trying to do the work yourself. But really what we need is that if he wants to go up that hill, that he's going to walk himself up the hill. Um, And so we have to find out first where he's at. I know you want him to stop. And to you, it's very black and white that he needs to stop smoking marijuana because it's bad for him. But until you really understand it from his perspective of what he thinks about it and also what he wants to do, you're probably going to face a lot of resistance and just make a lot of effort and use a lot of energy, but not get very far Uh, and maybe get further away from him, not closer to him. Uh, In some some point, you are right. I mean, for a while, he moved back, but he told me that he's upset. He wanted to do it. He wanted to stop. You know, I'm... I don't know why the sound is so, it's it's very hard to make out what you're saying. I, I, I felt like you said something like, uh, 
he says somebody he wants to stop or something about his ambivalence but it is hard to hear you I'll, I'll let you speak again if there's anything you can do again if you're on speaker you know take it off of the speaker phone um but if not i don't know we can try again but it might be hard for me to no i am not on the speaker uh, i'm not on the speaker i okay. don't know what to do i'm trying to talk as loud as possible and maybe actually a little bit but, quieter might be okay now i think because like i said there might be some feedback i know i asked you to speak more loudly but a little quieter might work better now okay okay go ahead um so i really don't know what to do we take him to the center we take him to psychologist he has been under uh, supervision of psychologists for a long time mm-hmm. and on and off we take him however i really don't know how, what a strategy i can use to help him to realize the danger that he might face with so you know here's the the thing like i was saying we need him to to want to stop i know you want him to stop but if he doesn't want to stop he won't and I know you're saying there's the dangers and these things, and there possibly is. Um, marijuana, the way I look at it, is that it's not all good or all bad. If someone is not smoking, I'm not going to recommend that they start. There could be, uh, the research shows it could have some negative effects on the brain, especially the younger you start. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean if someone smokes marijuana, their life has to be ruined. And sometimes parents, especially Iranian parents, because of their own um ideas about marijuana and other drugs might think this, that his life has to be ruined. So a few things, and I might talk a little bit more. I usually, of course, want it to be a conversation, but because we're having some issues with the audio, I'll share some thoughts with you and maybe we'll we'll try again and see how it goes. Um, So if one is, we want to understand what does the marijuana mean for him or do for him? Uh, If you tell me he smokes sometimes with his friends, okay, if he has to smoke every night or else he can't sleep, that concerns me more. If he's smoking all throughout the day, that concerns me. If it's keeping him from doing things, those things you know, are things we have to worry about. So first, we don't want to look at it as black and white. And for a lot of people, if you just think marijuana is this bad thing, it's just bad no matter what. So there's no, okay, maybe he smokes in a way that's you still might not like it, but it's not that big of a deal. Or no, really, it is a big deal and we have to be concerned. So we have to look at what role it's playing in his life. What does it serve? What does it get in the way of in his life? That's important. And then the other thing related to that is, well, what's driving him or leading to him smoking? Is it just a social thing he does here and there? Does he have some severe anxiety or depression that's pushing him towards it? Uh, that's also very important because... What we're looking at is the marijuana, even if it is problematic, it might be more a symptom uh, uh, rather than the actual disease. Maybe he's dealing with these things and they become chicken or the egg because sometimes someone is anxious and they turn to alcohol or turn to marijuana or other drugs. And then now they also have an addiction and that itself could be a problem. So I don't want to say the marijuana can't be a problem, but we want to look at a bigger picture issue or a bigger picture approach, which is that we're not just focused on marijuana because the way I'm hearing you talk and uh, I don't want to assume this, but based on what you said and what I've seen with some other parents is they just think marijuana is the problem. We have to get rid of marijuana. Once we get rid of marijuana, his life's going to be good. It's possible that's what's going on, but usually there's much more to the story than that. And if we're not looking at what else is going on, as I said, what might be pushing him towards smoking or why he uses, the why is very important. Uh, We won't really understand him better to really be able to help him. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, that makes sense. So what what question you have? Any question that you have that you well, want me to I mean, that's why I'm, I'm wondering, what do you see as far as how he, uh, you know, do you feel like it's really interfering with his life in a very negative way, the marijuana use? Yes, yes. Okay. I think that he cannot sleep at night, like the whole night is up. And um, he is a, he's athletic, he, he's, he's he's athlete, he's constantly, um, he he has gained some several state championships. He's very active in uh-huh. terms of bodybuilding, running, all types of sports he's doing very well. Not all types, like martial arts, like black belt uh-huh. and all of those things. However, these are the things that concerning me regarding the continuation of his education. Yeah. He's, he's a college student right now, but um, the way that he's moving forward, I think, is very difficult for him to focus. I know he has ADHD. However, uh, I don't think that would be just the only reason for difficulty to having enough sleep or cannot sleep or continue with education mm-hmm. because I know so many people in my family that have ADHD, but uh, in terms of education also they are successful. Right. But I just want to tell you that I also um, um, get um, separated from his father when he was like seven years old. Uh-huh. However, both of us are very supportive. Uh, our relationship is good and we try to have a good relationship uh, to support our, our son. Okay. Now um, let me let me stop no you there. Okay. Us. So let me stop you there. When you say you're concerned about his education, concerned about things, do you know how he feels about how his life is going? Like is he worried about those things? Is he unhappy about his life or does he feel like no it's okay, uh, my life is going exactly like I want? I think he, he feel okay about himself. However, even though if he's concerned, he's not a talkative child. He doesn't he doesn't show that if he he usually doesn't talk honestly. Yeah. Well, so that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, and of course, he's you know eighteen, and so the, he likely won't be so open communicating with you anyway. But I want you to be aware of how you communicate with him because if you if he feels like every conversation revolves around why are you smoking? Why don't you stop smoking? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with your life? All these things. He's not oh, gonna. No. Well, okay. No. I'm glad that's not the case. But if he feels no, like no. you're no. aware of the 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 marijuana is the biggest issue, and you're so focused on him in a negative way, and even I feel it in how you talk. I get you're concerned about him, but there's a worry and an anxiety in how you talk about him. If he feels that from you, even if you ask him how he's doing. And he's not okay. He's going to tell you he's okay. Life's good. Mom, why do you make everything a big deal? Why do you care so much? I'm 18. Let me have fun. But maybe he's concerned too. And so you're saying he doesn't say much. And that can at times make you feel like I have to connect to him by asking him questions, by getting him to say something. But if you don't give him the space to tell you how he's doing and how he's feeling, you'll never know. And my concern is that he actually isn't feeling so good about life and certain things that are happening in his life, but he's not able to share that with you because he's already waiting for you to judge him. He's waiting for you to tell him it's not okay or he's doing a bad thing in his life. And what I always tell parents is you want to connect, and it's not just with parents, with anyone. 
you want to connect with him at his pain, meaning that if he's not feeling good at his life, about his life, that's how we want to connect with him. That's how you have to get in where he's like, yeah, I know, mom, I don't, I haven't gone back to school and I think I should, or I haven't gone for a year or I stopped going to college or whatever it is that's going on that he's not feeling good about. And then when he says that, we don't judge him for it or say, see, I told you or the marijuana or the this or the that. We say, yeah, I can see how you're not feeling good. How can I help you? And you let him yes, tell yes, you. Yes, exactly. Okay. This is how I always tell good. him that support, even though this is difficult, but it still is okay. Anything, any problem, we just wanted to help him. I never, I never speak. I, I always try to be calm and kind. Okay, I hope so. Supportive. Like I said, and though, supportive. when I'm when I'm talking to you about it, I get that you're worried about him. Um, but it feels like there's a stress and an anxiety there that I'm saying he's probably picking up on. So I, I'm glad you're telling him that. Um, you know, whatever is going on, we can help you and it's fine, which it is. But you want to make sure he feels that too. That if he tells you, mom, let's just say he said, mom, I hate my life. I feel like I'm not doing it. And he might not feel this way, but I'm just giving you an example that mm-hmm. you don't make him feel like, you know, it's such a bad thing that you make him feel okay about that. And so we have to give him that space, which is easier said than done. But I would also okay. recommend to you to not make the marijuana the biggest focus. Don't get obsessed with the marijuana, marijuana, marijuana. No, no, okay. no. Okay, because no. it seemed like that was the thing you were most worried about, was that? Because because after a while, uh, actually, in the time we go to doctor, we noticed that he started uh, trying other stuff, too. Well, and that's my point. So that's what I'm saying about, you know, if we focus on the marijuana as the disease, we don't realize the marijuana might be a symptom. Okay. So he stopped smoking marijuana, but then he drinks more or he stopped smoking marijuana, but now he plays 10 hours of video games to, to compensate with how he's feeling. Right. So I'm more worried about what's going on deeper. And that's why I'm saying, don't make it a, you know, you took him to doctors and things about the marijuana. And it does seem like that was more about what you wanted than what he wanted. And that's why I'm saying okay. don't make the marijuana a focus. Because even I work with families or I work with teenagers and you'll see sometimes they'll say, yeah, my mom or my dad, all they care about is if I smoke marijuana or not. I go out of the house and I come home and I look, they're just looking at me, checking my eyes, seeing if they smell anything. It's as if I, they're just like drug enforcement officers. I'm not even a person anymore. It's just, did I smoke or not? And it takes away from the relationship. And of course, they're going to start avoiding you. They come home and they don't want to see you or, you know, they come home and they don't want to talk to you about their day because even sometimes, you know, the parents will assume they smoked when they didn't. Oh, your eyes are a little bit red. You must have smoked. And then, you know, maybe they didn't even smoke that day. And now they're like, okay, even when I don't, they punish me for it. So I would change the focus from marijuana to how he's doing. How is, how is your son doing? How does he feel? And that doesn't mean if you ask him these questions, he's going to tell you immediately, but make that more your focus. Don't even think about the marijuana and getting him to stop because you can't, even if you want him to stop smoking, if he doesn't want to, it doesn't matter. So focus more on his life and well being and how he's doing and just creating a relationship with him. And don't worry, you know, he's 18. He's got plenty of time to do whatever it is he wants to do. So let that take the pressure off of you that by, you know, now, tomorrow, this week, we have to fix the problem. You have time. Um, And slowly you'll be able to hopefully connect with him and see what's going on. But we can shift the focus from just the marijuana to just more about we care about how he's doing. Now, I mentioned time and actually I'm out of time now, so I do have to end our conversation. But thank you for calling. Maybe another time you can call, we can have a longer conversation. Thank you so very much. I always love you and love your program. Oh, you're so kind. And all of 
Good advice. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It was nice talking. You have a great day. Thank you so much. Sure. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. So thank you to Ghazali here in the studio and also to Maz Jabani who joined me today. Check out his wedding, uh, his movie, A Simple Wedding. I just started some rumors there. Um, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We have a wonderful day.